Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 10 through 22. And so we're continuing uh, and wrapping up the uh, expository series on the doctrine, the great doctrines of the Bible. And um, what a what a great way to finish up this this topic uh, by talking about the victorious church. Uh, this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. It, um, you know, we've, we've talked about uh, salvation. We've talked about the the other great doctrines of the Bible, and um, all of that is part of God's plan. And um, without uh, those things, we would not have a church. Without a church teaching true true word of God and, and the doctrines that are laid out by the apostles, we would not have a church today, or at least I would not want to be a part of that church that does not teach what the Bible says about repentance, about baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So thankful today to be part of a glorious and victorious church. So uh, Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 10 through 22. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye, ye being in time, time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called a circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, are all, you, are, you who all sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments obtained and ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God and in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace unto you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Let's also turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 18. Very familiar portion of Scripture and uh, an awesome, awesome vision of uh, uh, foretelling of what the church is going to be. It says, And I say unto thee, Jesus speaking, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Praise God. We're going to be talking about victorious church. If you're glad that you're a part of triumphant, victorious church this morning, and that you have received victory in your life through the church, I want you to clap your hands as you're being seated this morning. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. The scriptures describe the church both as God's handiwork and as his masterpiece. Uh, Paul referred to the church as the fellowship of the mystery or the mystery that was hid from the ages and, and from generations and something that is intimately connected to God's eternal purpose in the earth. And, uh, and if the second, you know, Ephesians 3 and 9 and Colossians 1 and 20, 26, we see this, that this is a mystery that, that was kept until, the, until now. And, and it is the body of Christ in the present world, the, the, uh, the family of God and the mother of us all. The, you know, the church is, is the beloved. It is the espoused and the glorious bride of Jesus Christ. It, it is his wife. The church is the purchased possession of the Lord. According to Ephesians 1 and 4, it is the chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Uh, it, it, you know, all of these things present, represent the church, and these represent only a few of the numerous colorful descriptions of the church, which has been the central focal point of the plan of God from the very beginning of time. And in the end, the church will rule and reign with Jesus Christ in the new kingdom. Throughout the church, the, uh, th- through, through the church, the Lord Jesus Christ extends His spiritual kingdom throughout the earth, and the church is the vehicle for the expression of the kingdom of God, and it possesses the authority to administrate His kingdom in the earth, since Christ gave to Peter the keys of the kingdom. Since the beginning of the, of the birth of the church, the church has been, been something that, is, uh, that has been glorious, something that is powerful, wonderful institution in this, in this world. I believe it is the, the greatest institution that is in this world. There, and it is, it is described in, in so many ways. That, but it, I think the bride of Christ really shows how the Lord feels towards the church. That it, it is His beloved. It is His prized possession. That He is looking for a church that is ready, that is prepared to, re, to be received by Him without a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I'm glad that I'm part of a church that today. I'm, pl- I'm glad that I'm part of the true church of God today. That that I'm part of something wonderful that God had in His mind ever since the beginning of time. The Bible says that it was, it was foretold throughout the ages. It, it was in the mind of God before the world even began that we will be here today, that we will be part of His eternal plan. And that excites me this morning, that I'm just not an afterthought of God, but that God called me before I was in my, father, in my mother's womb and that he, he, uh, he, he selected me and He chose me and gave me an opportunity to be part of a glorious church and victorious church that's going to see wonderful things as we move closer to the end times. Praise God. I'm glad that one day I got into the church. Praise God. Uh, the, the Gospels only record uh, a few instances of Jesus using uh, the Greek word ecclesia, which is a Greek word. If Go ahead and uh, follow along with me. Uh, the word ecclesia, it's a Greek word meaning simply the church. Uh, it also, in, in Greek culture, has a very particular meaning. And uh, in, in their society, in the Greek society, it was, uh, uh, it was something that was uh, uh, designated to the, the regular assembly of citizens to conduct business of the city and to consider matters of public interest. So in, in ancient, uh, ancient Greece they, uh, and a- Athens, they... 
they would have a meetings, uh, you know, every uh, so often, and uh, everyone was invited. This was the 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 Greek um, uh, democracy. This was a, a place where the people from uh, all, all walks of life, all races, all kinds of male and female could come. There was no uh, there was no uh, discrimination. Anyone could come, and they could be part of. Ecclesia, or this uh, meeting where they, they, they handled the affairs of, of the city. And it was really more of a political term than anything, but, uh, but it, um, it, it mirrors what the church is today. And this is, you know, uh, you know the, the literal meaning of it is called out or called um, to assemble together. And, uh, you know, when we consider the meaning uh, as the, uh, of Ecclesia as the people understood in Paul's day, we perceive the idea that transcends being called out or, or, or in larger context, as I said, being called to assemble together. It was, an, it was not exclusive call, but it was an inclusive one. It included everyone. It gave an opportunity for everyone to, to summon uh, not only the select few, but the entire population of the city. And it depicted the ultimate expression of unity. It, it uh, allowed no divisions, no uh, committees, no subgroups, or uh, no racial or ethnic uh, dep- uh, depravity, and, and no, separ- no separate meetings. This was, there was unity, and there was uh, uh, oneness with, with the Ecclesia in, in, in Greece. And there... There was only one ecclesia in the city through which individuals shared equality, each person having the same voice and vote regardless of economic or social status. And so the ecclesia could make decisions on any subject and uh, elect or dismiss any leader and declare war or make peace. And so, you know, we may wonder, what does this have to do with the church? And uh, But there are really several features of the Greek ecclesia that should also... Uh, that also categorized the church. And uh, go ahead and move on to the next slide. The, the church will, uh, will regularly, consistently gather together to worship, fellow, fellowship, and conduct necessary business. The church will endeavor to be inclusive in reaching out to the entire city. That's part of the church. That's, you know, the church is inclusive in nature. God help us if we look down upon someone that is in our city that is in a different social status or or, or position that is not you know that, that does not have the, the money that, that we may have or is of a different race and that we don't reach out to them. Our outreach, our endeavor, Christ called us to go into all the world and to all nations and to teach the gospel and and um, to baptize all nations. So it is it is. It, it is uh, you know, the endeavor is to, to reach out to everyone. Uh, the church will endeavor to provide the ultimate example of unity and equality, um, undivided by social or economic classes, races, nationalities, or cultures. And thank God for that. What an awesome thing that, that we don't have to worry about the race or, 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 where, or, or the culture or economic classes. But when you're in the church, you're a part of the body of Christ. That you are, you are together with God's people. And, and no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, you are welcome in the church of the living God. The church will respond to the call of Jesus Christ to come out from the uh, allurements of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And and uh, busily occupy itself with conducting the business of God in this world. In uh, Hebrews 10:25, uh, the Scripture really describes uh, th- this assembly. It says, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and as so much more as you see the day approaching." You know, we often use the Scripture to, to, to 
to let folks know that it is important to be in church, that it is part of, of Scripture to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, that it is part of the body of Christ. And really, why would you not want to be in church? Why would you miss out on such an awesome institution and such an awesome opportunity to, to be part of something that is grand? And I, you know, I look back and I, I think of this often that, you know, this world is looking for answers. This world is, 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 is going out and they, they have meetings for self-help with self-help books and they, they do AA and NA and, and how to become a good leader and how to, you know, succeed in this world and how to succeed in life and uh, gain, gain different skills through various seminars and things like that and going to uh, college and receiving uh, diplomas to, to excel in life. But, but the church... The church has all of that every Sunday and Wednesday night. It, 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 there's a wealth of knowledge. There's a wealth of, of resources that are part of the church that I, you would have to be absolutely insane and just absolutely uh, ignorant to, um, to, to not take advantage of. What, what, what an awesome thing to come here on every Wednesday and Sunday and, and between services and home groups and in Bible studies and learn about Jesus Christ. Learn about the values of life. Learn about the, the family values and how to excel and to see some answers in your life. It is a wealth. It is a fountain of resource of knowledge that, that uh, nothing else compares to. It's been, it's been told before that... Uh, that uh, an average saint, uh, you know, sits enough, uh, receives enough in church to be able to receive a, a doctorate degree. Uh, you, you know, and so really we are, we are truly blessed. Amen. We are truly blessed to have the church. And I, I don't know why anybody would, uh, would think that it's, a, uh, that it's a, a burden to be part of the church, that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a burden to, to go to the house of God and to receive the answers for your life and to receive the blessings that follow along with it. We, we can spend hours talking about this, but I, uh, I, I'm just thankful that I, I have enough understanding and, and, I, and I, I have been wisened enough to understand that this is a great resource, that this is, there's nothing in the world like the church. Praise God. So the church is also the continuation of the redemptive history. Uh, you know, ever since Adam and Eve fell their, uh, from their innocence, they started down the man's, uh, mankind's long road to ultimate redemption and the promise of eventual, uh, eventual victory. You know, in Genesis 3.15, we, we read about uh, after they sinned, after they ate of the forbidden fruit, and they, God judged them. But He also gave them a promise that one day a seed of the woman is going to come forth and is going to de uh, destroy the works of Satan. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be victorious over the devil. And, uh, of course, Jesus Christ fulfilled that for us in the New Testament. And so this, was, this is what the world was looking for. This is what the Israel was looking forward to. Every time they made a sacrifice, every time they laid that animal upon the altar, every time somebody prayed, every time a priest walked into the holiest of holies, they looked forward towards the church. They foresaw it. Abraham saw it. Uh, looked for a city whose, whose builder and maker was God, whose foundations were made of God. And, and you know, this is, it was for the, the, every, every animal sacrifice and, and of the patriarch, every sin offering, it, it was looking towards that. Mankind faithfully performed rituals of the law while awaiting for a more complete answer to the sin problem. 
You know, they, they could have their sins remitted for just one, one year, just for, for 12 months before the priests entered into the holiest of holies. One time a year, their, their sins were, were, were pushed back one year. But they were looking forward to, to having forgiveness, to really having a perfect sacrifice that was going to come. It was going to shed, shed His blood upon the old ragged cross. And for us to have forgiveness, true forgiveness of sins, not for a year, not for two years, but for eternity. That when you come to an altar and you say, Lord, forgive me, God, forgive me of my sin, God solves the sin problem. And I'm thankful that we are living a generation and a time and a church age when we can have our sins completely forgiven. And not only forgiven in repentance, but remitted in water baptisms where they're thrown away as the far as, as the east is from the west. So, you know, they were looking for, for this unveiling, for, for, this, for the church age to come and to, uh, to be part of the God's total plan. And uh, in Hebrews 11, th- uh, verses 39 through 40, it says, And these all, having obtained a good report uh, through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better uh, thing for us, that they without, uh, that they without us should not be made perfect in a, in the dispensation of the law worship centered around the tabernacle in the temple uh, you know the, the Israel was positioned such as they traveled through the um, uh, through through the desert they uh, all of their tents were around the tabernacle they God wanted to be the center of their life God wanted to be in the middle of everything that they do and so it really should be the same today. Everything in our lives should be centered around the church. It should be centered around serving God. When it's not, your life is never going to be in harmony that God really wants it to be. Can I hear amen? When you're not in church, when you skip church, when you, you, you're in and out, your, your life, the, the plan, the, the purpose of God is, is, is destroyed in your life or, or it's, it's deterred. But I'm thankful that I can stay on, on the right path and I can continue coming to church and I can continue to live for God day in and day out and experience the glory and the power of God and the blessings of God each and every day in my life. That I don't have to go in and, out of one disaster situation to the next, but I can walk without fear, walk in peace, walk in understanding, having wisdom of God being applied to my life each and every time I come to church. I'm thankful that I don't... Uh, I have the church, praise God. And so, you know, a lot of the uh, many things about their, their worship that was in the Old Testament pointed to the coming church. And uh, if we can go ahead and go to the next altar, or the altar of sacrifice was one of the, so m- many of the instruments that were part of the worship at, uh, in, in the tabernacle, they, they, they foretell of the coming church. They, they, it's a type and a shadow of what is to come, what was to come. Uh, as they looked forward to, as they did all, did all these things, they represented what we're experiencing today and what we have access to today. So the altar of sacrifice was where the animals were, were, uh, were laid and uh, the sacrifices were given unto God. And it's a type of repentance. It's a type of, of death. Of, uh, when, when you come to Christ and you, you, uh, you, you die to your own self, you, you, you turn around, you say, God, I'm, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm going to die out to the man I once used to be. And uh, I commit my life to God. And uh, the, the next one was the lever uh, of water. And uh, anybody can guess what that is. It's a type of baptism. 
um, before the priests or before the, the people came to, to give sacrifices, they, they would wash their hands and, uh, in, in the labor and uh, be, be cleansed that way before they approached the holy God. And uh, it, it is a type of baptism, just as many other things that were in the Old Testament. Uh, but it pointed to that one day there's going to be a remission of sins, that, that no longer the sins would be just pushed back or, or forgiven for a short time, but that once and for all they will be wiped away from your record and you can have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. The next temp, uh, was the, the tabernacle, the holy place. It was the, it was the inner, uh, inner place within the uh, tabernacle itself. The, the previous uh, instruments that we showed were actually in the, in the court of the uh, tabernacle. But these, these pieces here, uh, you know, the, the holy place was part of the tabernacle where the table of shewbread and the, and the, the candlestick were. Uh, before you entered, the priest entered into the holiest of holies behind the veil. And it, uh, it represents the type of the church age. It's, it's the, you know, representing that, that we have access to the innermost part of worship, innermost part of God, and, and, and be close to God, and that uh, we no longer, it, it, it has to be just the priest. It's no longer just the, the very few that have access, but actually we have access to the presence of God every t- time we come to, uh, to the house of God, every time we, we come uh, to God in prayer, we have access to the presence of God and to the power of God. The, the candlestick was uh, an item that was in the tabernacle, uh, and uh, it, it gave light in the tabernacle, and, uh, and it, it is a type of the Holy Ghost. Of course, it's also the, the type of Jesus Christ, of uh, the light of the world, but uh, we all know that he, they're one and the same. Amen? That they're not two separate persons in the Trinity, but, but uh, Christ within in us, the hope of glory, is speaking of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank God that one day I, I received light in my life. The darkness was pushed back and I was able to, to serve God. The table of shoe bread was uh, usually set on the right-hand side of the, the tabernacle. And uh, it, uh, that's, it, it, had, it had bread on it and uh, it, was, um, it was part of the worship. And uh, anybody can guess what the, what the, uh, the table of shoe bread represents? Besides what's written on there, type of Word of God, it also represents Jesus because He said that I am the Word of God, that I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of, that's come from heaven. So, um, and final, uh, well, almost finally, uh, the altar of incense was the other um, um, article that was in the tabernacle. And uh, anytime we, we see incense in Scripture, it is referred to uh, the prayers of the saints. It's referred to worship going up as a sweet saving savor to, unto God. It's, uh, it's continually, it was continually burnt in the, in the, in the tabernacle. And uh, uh, it, the Bible says that we should pray unceasingly, that, that we should pray all the time. Uh, no matter where, whether we're in our car, no matter whether we're at work, we have an opportunity to, to, to give God praise every time we, uh, we, we are, we're able to. Praise God. And so the, the same, uh, it, it represents the, the prayer and the worship of the saints. The veil and the holy, place, the holiest of holies, um, is is a type of heaven itself in the presence of God. Um, you know, this is, this was the most uh, sacred place in the tabernacle. That uh, uh, the high priest, the, the 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 single priest of Israel, was only able to access once a year. 
Uh, he, if he walked in and uh, into the holiest of holies and he had sin in his life, if he was not uh, repentant, if he not, did not do uh, according to everything that God asked of the priest, the, that uh, he would he would be instantly killed. And you know, there's speculation, of course, on how um, you know w- what they did in order to get the priest out if if he died, because it was behind a veil and. Nobody else would have access to so something that they they had um, uh, a rope tied to to their leg and um, you know, I don't know and how did they actually get into the into the holiest of holies behind the veil uh, because this this thing was literally it was it was so thick that uh, um, it it, uh, it was impenetrable there was there was there was really no opening and it uh, uh, something that that priests were literally translated into. Uh, into the presence of God, into the holiest of holies, and so that represents the the type of it's type of heaven. It's it's the it's the very presence of God. That's where the um, the mercy seat was. That's where the uh, the Ark of the Covenant was, which represented the presence of God for Israel. And um, you know, I'm thankful that when Jesus died on the cross, that the Bible says that the veil was rent in the temple, and that that means that. Each and every one of us that are living in the church age, we have access to the pure presence of God. Every time we kneel down in prayer, any time we kneel down at the altar before God, we have access to the presence of God. We have access to the holiest of holies. We are able to come into the throne of God boldly in the time of need and receive grace. And so finally, the, the mercy seat is the, the type of the throne of God, uh, um, or you know, again, also receiving of mercy and forgiveness in 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 the, in the church age. Um, the the priests, as they entered the holiest of holies, they would they would pour the sacrifice, the blood of the sacrifice, over the um, the cherubims, over the the mercy seat, and that's where and that's what remitted the the sins of uh, of Israel for another twelve months. But I'm thankful that Jesus Christ offered. His precious blood, his his sinless blood upon the mercy seat in, in heaven, and uh, for once and for all, for us to never have to do it again, for 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 us to have access to the presence of God, for us to have forgiveness and mercy for our lives. Amen. Praise God. So all of these things are are pointing to. Uh, you know what is to come that the, that the church was going to be glorious that it's going to be victorious that there's going to be many many blessings that come with uh with, with you know with with being part of the church and uh, the old testament is filled with hundreds of passages that provide types and shadows of the future church and practically every event in the in the old testament illustrates and teaches lessons about uh, the upcoming church and how it's applicable to the church age. I mean, he can has been through a Bible study and can recognize that it, uh, you know, that every time Israel did something or or, or there was a story in the Bible that it leads, uh, you know, us to, to 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 learn from it and to to apply it to to our lives now as as we have it. And Paul wrote that all now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonitions upon whom the ends of the world are come. Do you realize that we are the last generation? Do you realize that, that literally the world is, 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 is being held from destruction by us, by the church being part of this world? That it is the church that withholds the wrath of Satan and the wrath of God. It's the church and the Holy Ghost uh, that, that, that keep the love of God in this world. 
And when the church is gone, when the rapture takes place and we, we are caught up in the heaven with Him, there's not going to be love in this world. There's not going to be hope in this world. We're going to be, you know, we read in the scripture that we once were alienated from Christ. We're alienated from the from the uh, from Israel, that we were strangers and vagabonds in this world, but but now we're made nigh unto Christ. We have an opportunity right now, today, to be part of something glorious. We have access to forgiveness. We have access to glory. We have access to the to the Spirit of God being filled, uh, filling our lives and, and giving us victory, giving us power over sin and 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 uh, in all of the mistakes that we have once made. We can be victorious today. I'm glad that I'm part of the church age. That it, you know, if if you can't live for God now, you'll never be able to. You know, some people say, "Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll wait till the last minute." You know what? You may not have a chance because when God takes up the the, the church, you're not going to have a chance. You're not going to be able to. Uh, you know, if you can't really serve God now, are you really going to be able to stand in front of the government and the mark of the beast and not take the mark of the beast and have your head chopped off? in order to, to be counted worthy. I don't think very many people would. I don't think very many Christians today would. I honestly question myself so often that would I truly die for Christ? Would I give my life uh, for God, for the gospel, and, and not deny Christ? And uh, I, I certainly hope I would, and I certainly each and every one of us would be ready. But and, and, and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Each and every one of us are filled with the Holy Ghost. And how much harder would it be just to serve God on our own when, when the love of God is gone, when the, when the presence of God is gone, when, when the church is no longer here, when the sister institution is no longer here to give us direction, to give us guidance, to give us clear call to, to repentance and, and to uh, how to serve God. Praise God. So you might as well take advantage now. You might as well dive into the waters now. You might as well live God for God now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't put it off. Don't put off living for God. Don't put off kneeling down on an altar and repenting of your sins and saying, God, I'm tired of living this sinful life. I want to trade it in for something good. I want to trade it in for, for some stability in my life. I want to trade it in for something that's going to keep me through the times of trouble. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you raise your hands all over the sanctuary and just thank God for, for what you have in the church. Thank God for the forgiveness and for, for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for that you are living in a church age, that there is mercy, that there is forgiveness, that there is love in this house this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And don't, don't, don't put off a living for God. Don't, 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 don't feel like you, you have to be perfect before you come to church or make your life just right before you're able to come to the house of God and begin to worship. Don't, don't feel that way. I don't know who you are here this morning, but I'm telling you today is the day when you need to make a choice to live for God. It is in the church that you will draw your strength. It is in the house of God that you will find peace and joy that you're looking for. It's in the house of God that you will, you will be able to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Through, through the Spirit of God working in your life, you'll be able to, to rise above sin and walk, walk above the mistakes in your life. You can never be perfect. God is not looking for perfect people before they come to the church, but He's looking for those that are weak. He's looking for those that are sick and weary and, and tired and heavy laden. And He is wanting to give you rest. He's wanting to give you rest from, from the sinful lifestyle, from the, from the life that has taken toll upon you and upon your, your emotions, upon your heart, upon, upon your feelings. And, and God is wanting to give you a brand new heart. 
God is wanting to give you something that is going to last, that is going to, to bring healing and, and, and deliverance and, and joy into your life that nothing else in this world can. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't put off living for God. Make up your mind to live for God today. There, there are several features of, of the new covenant that uh, you know foretell the church, and, and the in Ezekiel thirty six twenty six through twenty seven, the Bible says, "A new heart also will I give unto you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give uh, you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them." And also in uh, Hebrew, uh, in Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 through 33, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, this is this is this was foretelling what was going to happen in the in the church age. That that God is going to literally write the laws of God upon the the, the person's heart. That no longer they would have to struggle with their flesh uh, of wanting to do good, wanting to do the right thing, wanting to to live for God and and keep the commandments, keep the law. But having the weakness of the flesh constantly dragging them down, the sinful nature constantly bringing them down and and, and causing them to sin and causing them to make mistakes, but he said that I will put my law within you. I will write, I will take away the stony heart. I will take the, away those, those stony uh, commandments. And, and, I, and I will literally write the law of God upon your hearts. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. When, when church was born, when the Spirit of God was poured out upon all flesh on the 120 that were gathered in the upper room. And, and every time a person is filled with God's Spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance, you literally have, God literally is writing the law of God upon your heart. And no longer the law is burdensome to you. No longer the law is something that you avoid. No longer the church is something that is a drudgery. No longer living for God or, uh, or so-called religion. I don't even like that term, but that's what the world calls it. No longer uh, being spiritual uh, drudgery. But it's a joy. It's a peace. It's, it's something that you cannot describe with, with human words. It's, it's, re, it's release from all the pressures of life and, and, the, and, and the pain and the, and the suffering that, the, that we go through. Hallelujah. And we can walk in victory. We can walk in accordance to God's laws. And in other portions of scriptures, that it says that you, you don't. They will all know me. That they, from the least to the to the greatest, they will know the Lord. Because the law is literally written in their hearts. And, they, and so it, it, that is the power of the Holy Ghost. That is the power of living in the, new, uh, in, in the church age. It's, it's the answer uh, to this lifelong struggle that came when the church age was, was born on the day of Pentecost. You know, the new covenant provided a new experience when the Spirit of God came uh, within a person, giving him a new heart with a covenant of God written upon it. Uh, you know, it, it's 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 something that, that that God has foretold and many many years ago, and 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 now we have access to that. Now we ha we are able to 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 live for God without fear or doubting. And you know, the answer to the sin problem is for for a person to receive spiritual po power on the inside that will empower him to override fleshly desires. And it takes more than just an outward profession of faith. It, it takes more than just ceremonial performance. It takes more than just 
good works. It takes more than just reformation or, or making up your mind to do something. It, it's more than worldly programs could offer. It takes more than just shaking a preacher's hand and walking into a church and being a part of, uh, being a member of a church. But you have to be born into the church. You have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. That's what makes you a member of the church, of the living church, of the victorious church. And when you do, that's when the glory of God comes into your life. That's when the, you have the power to overcome. That's when you are truly able to live for God the way that many of you always wanted to, but never were able to. So I, I encourage you today, look for the Holy Ghost. Seek for the Holy Ghost if you don't have the Holy Ghost, because it is the power of God unto salvation. That's what's going to make a difference in your life. I, you know, I, I, when I first came into the church, I, I was a mess, most of you know. I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and, uh, my, you know, but... And I, uh, you know, I started coming to church. God began to deal with my life, began to draw me. And, uh, you know, I, I would come to church and I uh, would want to do good and uh, want to turn around and had all kinds of promises. And I was even baptized in Jesus' name. I saw my sins washed away, but, but I still, still struggled with sin. Still went around the same old friends, the same old situations. But it wasn't until... I finally ended up in jail and God filled me with the Holy Ghost in jail that my life turned around that God finally gave me the power to overcome sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. He can do the same for you this morning. He's not a respecter of persons. God is just looking for you to receive from Him this morning. The Bible says that you are our epistle written in, in our hearts, known and read of all men, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but the fleshly tables of the heart. Praise God. The, you know, the, we're going to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about how that the church is, is, is what, as God sees it. The church as God sees it is, is one. It's, it's, it's inseparable. In, in Ephesians 4 and 5 it says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is not multiple lords. There is not multiple persons in the Godhead. There is only one faith. There is only one way. And there is only one baptism. It's not however you want to be baptized, whether it be in the titles, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or in the name of Jesus. There is only one baptism, and that's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Acts 2.38 and, and various other scriptures. God has only one church in this world. You know, he never intended for the church to, to be a group of denominations or a multitude of unrelated or disconnected assemblies. The world presents a multitude of, of types of churches, all different, so, you know, so that the church shoppers can, 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 can choose what they like according to their own flesh, according to own desires. But that's not what God's looking for. God is, God is not going to make compromises with, with, with his church. It is his bride. It belongs to him. He's going to tell it what, what, what the way she will be. And the unity is the first characteristic of the church. For, one, for by one spirit are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. All believers with all their various gifts and abilities and identities are part of the body of Christ. Aren't you glad that there's many members? Aren't you glad that we all have something to offer and that we are, are truly part of one body of Christ? The church is God's elect and, and chosen one. It is His bride. It is, it is His peculiar uh, people that, that is called out from the world, working together till we all come to the unity of the faith. And Jesus, in Jesus' great prayer for His disciples, uh, recorded in John 17, He prayed that they all may be one. 
And he repeated that plea several times. So God wants us to be one. God does not want divisions. He wants us to think the same. He wants us to walk the same. He wants us to believe the same message. Praise God. God help us to not have divisions among us. We, are, we, we all share the same faith. And, and we, we need to endeavor to be together. We need to endeavor to, to believe the same thing and to walk according to God's purpose. You know, obviously not every, everything that calls itself a church is a church. And, and not every building with a steeple represents the true church. How many you know that? Uh, you know, there are many, uh, many scriptures that warn of false doctrines, of false teachers, and false prophets and apostles. Discretion is, is widespread. You know, he is looking for a bride. He is looking for the bride of Christ that is without spot or wrinkle. He, you know, the, the uh, Ephesians 5:26 says that he might uh, sanctify and cleanse it with washing of the water, uh, that that he might present it to himself a glorious church, with not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. God wants us to be a separate people. God wants us to be a holy people. Praise God. The, so how, how, can, how can a person know that, he is, that he's found the right church? And uh, I guess we already have the answer. Uh, you know, and, and really, there's, there's many things, but I think the, the number one is that it, pre, that it preaches the truth of God's Word. That the Word of God is the basis upon which we judge whether we're in the right church or not. And it is you know, the message that, uh, that the church preaches that defines the church. If, if, if it doesn't resemble what the apostles laid out in, in the beginning uh, uh, as, as, they, as, as the gospel was presented to them, then, then we are not in the right church. And let me, let me show you what, what I mean. In Galatians 1, 8-9, the Bible says that, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than, than that which are, we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which have, ye have preached, let him be accursed. And then also in Jude 3, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of, of the common salvation, it was needful to me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to, unto the saints. What was once delivered to the saints? It was... It was the doctrine. It, it, was the, it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the, and that's the type of, of, being, of repenting of your sins. Being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. You know, I, when I look for a church, or if, if uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in this church today because my, I, I have great friends like Brother, Brother Hill, or because, you know, my wife is in the church, or because I may have family in the church, or because I like the music in this church, or worship. But I'm in this church because I believe what this church stands for. I believe in the gospel that is preached from this pulpit. Hallelujah. And, you know, we, we, at some point we have to make a decision why we come to church, why it is that we are, we are part of this church. It, it's not because our family, it's not because we have good friends in the church, but it's because of the doctrine that is being preached in this church, that it takes repentance, that it takes baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and it takes the infilling of the Holy Ghost to be part of this church, to, to make it to heaven, to, to live a holy life, to, to be a separated people, to, to live a godly lifestyle. Hallelujah. 
That's, that's why I come to church. And at some point in our lives, we have to make a decision what we, what we stand for and what the church really means to us. Praise God. You know, the, the church is also, God sees His church as, as, as being holy. You know, He wants it to be a glorious church. He wants it to be a set apart. He wants it to be separate. He wants it to be hollow and, uh, and pure and sinless, uh, upright and, and holy. You know, He's not looking for a harlot. He's not looking for a church that's, that's here one day and gone, gone the next. He, you know, I, I think that's pretty reasonable. I think if, if, you know, if God is, is going to marry his bride, just like any of us, you know, uh, what would happen, Jake, if on, you know, on your wedding day you found out that, that she has been, you know, in, with every, hanging out with every guy in town before, before, you know, your wedding night. That she's been, you know, she's been, you know, flirting with every other person in, in town. You know, I'm sorry to embarrass that, but you know, that's that's. I'm just giving you an example. You know, every, any of one of us would feel. <laughs> Praise God. But God is God is looking for a pure church. God is looking for a holy people. You know, he he is a jealous God, and he has every right to. He has every right to. And so, you know, when when we when we spend more time, uh, you know playing on the internet or being on Facebook or when we, when we you know, our, our, our desires are more into the world than, than it is and pleasing God and serving God, then, then we need to check our motives. We need to, we need to find out where we stand because, because we may not be part of that bride that God is looking for. Amen? Praise God. If we, you know, we, we, we need to be part of, of the body of Christ. We need to walk as, as, as God wants us to walk. We need to talk as God wants us to talk. We need to be part. We need to resemble. We need to separate ourselves from the, from the, from the sins and, the, and the, you know, the, the things of this world that, that dissuade us and that keep us, uh, keep us bogged down with, uh, with things that, uh, that are not needful. Praise God. You know, the church is to be sanctified church. This is to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and set apart for, apart for His sacred purpose. And God calls the church to stand against all evil and sin against immorality and godliness. The church consists of believers that are transformed, freed from sin, and dedicated to living their lives for God. And uh, Philippians 2 and uh, 15 says that you may be blameless and harmless uh, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you, you shine as lights in the world. The church, uh, God is also look, looks at the church as, as being universal. That, uh, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly uh, joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Anywhere in the, in the world a person may go, the people of God uh, have much in common. They may have different nationalities, they may have different races, they may come from different backgrounds, they may speak different languages. Uh, but the, the experience of receiving the Holy Ghost, the experience of, of having their sins remitted in water, waters of baptism is the same no matter wh- where you go. It is the, the gospel is cross-culturally. It wa- works in all societies and all traditions. Church is unified, it, you know, as, as a universal church. It's God's church. It's not, 
it, it's not the pastor's church, or it's not Brother Robertson's church, or, or you know, Brother Hill's church, it's not Brother Sims' church, it's, you know, it's, it's God's church. Hallelujah. You know, and there's a, there's a fine line between, you know, as so often, you know, it, it, it seems that uh, we get hung up on things that, uh, that are not important and, uh, or, you know, to, that, that, that would divide us, that, that keeps us from being the one body that Christ is looking for. Uh, you know, we have a common belief. As long as, you know, we are in the Word of God, we are to be brothers and sisters. You know, it, it burdens my heart every time I, I hear that, you know, the divisions between the, the United Pentecostal Church and, and the, uh, the Assemblies of, of God or Assemblies of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, we, we, we believe the same thing. We believe the gospel message. We believe the apostles' doctrine. And everything else that, is, that it has great areas in it, we need to be able to, to, to still work together, to still accept that, you know what, if he, God accepts him, that he's still good enough. He may, you know, his pastor may not preach exactly the same thing as our pastor does, but you know what, he is going to be responsible, his pastor, not me. And so, so often, you know, we, 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 we need to realize that there's biblical standards and then there's also, um, you know, uh, pastoral standards or, or standards that are specific to the church. And so, you know, when, uh, when we go to other churches, we need to be respectful, you know, if, if, they, uh, you know, if they have certain standards that, that their pastor teaches, we need to respect that. But we don't need to go to their church and say, well, you know, our pastor teaches this, and so you should do the same thing. You're not really apostolic if you're, if you're uh, you know, if, if you're not doing what my pastor teaches. Those, those things divide us, and, and those things are, you know, God is not pleased with that. Praise God. You know, we, it, it, uh, there's, there's a difference between standards and there's uh, of biblical standards and, and traditional standards, or, or the ones, you know, if I, you know, if I was in, in Russia, I, you know, I, I would have completely different standards as I would here. You know, there's things that 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 in certain culture would uh, would be more prevalent, and and we we would have a stronger stance against you know uh, uh, you know like for example, let, let me be very straight and forward, and uh, uh, you know. It, when I was in Russia, uh, you know, six years ago, we uh, for six months, the, every time we had someone come into the church, uh, they called it wandering prophets, or you know, men that that uh, you know were of the faith, but they they could not be subjected under authority. They did not want to be part work as uh, part of the church, but they wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to to prophesy when they wanted to prophesy when it was not completely out of order, and and so they they caused havocs. They would come to the to the saints and they would. That would cause division in the church, and and so they they would not you know they they would not be submitted, and every single time they wore a beard, and so you know it, it's something that is that is a sign of pride, is a sign of of, uh, of not uh, you know being obedient or or not having um, you know having authority in their life, and so I, if I wasn't in, in Russia, I would have a standard that uh, you know that any 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 man in the church should be clean shaven. You know, uh, here it's not so much of a problem, you know, and uh, in some areas, you know, it's not, in some cultures, it's not considered as a prideful thing. But in, in Russia, it really is. You know, you, you think of a, you know, a strong Russian burly man, you, you see him with a beard and, you know, a big furry hat on. But, 
You know, so it is very much part of their culture. And so those things, you know, and when, when I, you know, if, if I was to go and to preach there, I, you know, I would respect that. I would understand that there, that there is a reason for those standards. There is a reason that, that the man of God expects his church and, and the people that he is responsible for, for their souls, to, uh, to obey certain things that he teaches, that he sees in, in the spirit realm, that they may bring them down, they may uh, destroy their, their souls. And it's very sad because, you know, uh, up to this day, they, they, these people still don't have a church. You know, they're not able to, to be under authority. They're not able. They want to be the top dog. They want to be the, you know, the one that always prophesies, the one that always says the word of God. And uh, um, and so, we, you know, we, we need to be careful. We need to recognize that God wants wants us to be one. God wants us to be in unity. And um, and we need to put away some of the differences that we have and, and realize that as long as we are apostolic, as long as we believe the doctrine that was passed down to us from the apostles, that everything else is not as important. Praise God. And, and so the church also looks at us as, as being an apostolic church. You know, and uh, in Ephesians 2 and 20 it says, And we are built upon the foundation of apostles and, and, uh, and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being... Uh, being the chief cornerstone, you know what, what does it mean to be apostolic? What what does it mean to be apostolic Pentecostal? It, it means that we follow the apostles' doctrine that that uh, that the gospel that was once delivered to the saints, the the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the example. That uh, you know, when we read the book of Acts, the, uh, when when we see people being filled with the Holy Ghost every time, the evidence is that they speak in other tongues with the, the Spirit of God giving utterance. The same today, God is still pouring out His Spirit. God is still giving the Holy Ghost. And, you know, every time someone was baptized in, in the book of Acts and in the early church, it was in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is what makes us apostolic. This is what you know causes us to to stand firm and and confident and say that we are part of the church church that that you know today's church will will do you know well to examine and, and make certain that it follows the apostles uh, pattern praise god i'm going to move on i'm running out of time and finally the church is uh, is triumphant god looks as the church is triumphant it's not a weakling church it's not something that you know is full of uh, uh poor and weak widows and and women and and children uh but it's it's a triumphant church it's a militant church and uh you know, uh, in, in Colossians 2 and 15, the Bible says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made uh, a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So, you know, when, when Christ returns, he's not going to be uh, just as a, a carpenter. He's not going to be as the lowly man of, of, of Galilee, but he's going to be on the white horse. He's going to have armies of, of the saints behind him. And, uh, and so, you know, as, as, you know, what does it mean to be triumphant? What does it mean to, to, you know, to, to be victorious? And uh, I think a very good example is, is the, how the Roman, uh, Roman uh, you know, uh, leaders have, have been uh, presented triumphantly. They had triumphant processions when they won a war, when they, they, they came back with victory. Uh, back to their homeland, and uh, so if we can go to the next land, so that you know this was a uh, a Roman, you know, a triumphant Roman was a magnificent pr- pr- procession in honor of the victorious general, and uh, you know, is in the highest military distinction which he could ever obtain. It was uh, granted uh, by the Senate only to one who had held the office of dictator, consul, or uh, praetor, um, and uh, after a decisive victory. 
uh, in the complete uh, subjugation uh, of a province uh, or a nation. And, you know, in a, in a Roman triumph victory, uh, the victorious general entered the city in a chariot uh, drawn by four horses. So they, uh, you know, he, he, he was crowned with laurel, having, having a scepter in one hand and a branch of uh, laurel in, in the other. Uh, he was also uh, preceded by the, by the Senate and the magistrates and the uh, musicians. Um, uh, you know, the musicians and, uh, in the middle of them were the spoils of the victory uh, and, and the captives in, in fetters. And, and this, uh, then after that, they followed the army on foot and marching in marching order. So this was, a, this was something that, uh, you know, that the Romans did to, to proclaim victory, that they were truly triumphant over a nation or over a province. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, really the church is, is designated to, to sweep in the heaven in a glorious celebration of rejoicing uh, for victory over all the enemies and persecutors. One day Jesus Christ is going to come back on a white horse. He's going to come back victorious. He, he's going to come back with tens of thousands of his saints. He, he's going to have the spoils of Satan and his demons in, in his hand. The, the one day we're going to be able to look at, at Satan and, and wonder, the Bible says, that, that, that this little man caused so much havoc, that this little man caused so much division, that this little man caused so much, uh, so much pain. We, we can ha- see him in, in chains and fetters and we can, we, we can have the spoils uh, of, of His kingdom being, being portrayed, that, that God is going to make an open show, the Bible says, uh, uh, openly triumphing over them. I want to be part of that church. I want to be part of that day when, when Christ comes back and we, we're riding behind Him. I want to be the man that rides behind His, his horse. I want to be the one that, that is the closest to Him. I want to be the one in the number that, that when Jesus Christ comes back triumphant over this world, over the sin of this world, and over Satan, I want to be counted as the number that is, that is, that is part of the glorious and the victorious church. Hallelujah. I want to be the overcomer. I want to see that conquest over, over death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 2 and 14 says that now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Praise God. Aren't you glad to be part of God's church? Aren't you glad that you are part of victorious church? That you, even though you may, you may feel weak today, you may feel you know, discounted, you may feel, you feel like there's no hope for you, but God wants you to be part of a victorious church. God wants you to be part of something that is great, that one day will, will show the nations what, what He is truly made of. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me this morning? Praise God. Praise God. Today is the day of salvation. I want to encourage you to, to, to realize that, that today you can be a part of, of the victorious church, that you can be a part of triumphant church, that, that you can receive the blessings of God, that you can truly have the victory in your life, that you can have direction in your life. You can, you can receive the resources that, that, that God provides to us through, through the church. I want to be a part of it. Amen. Praise God. To shake someone's hand and tell them I'm glad and I'm part of the church. Praise God.